0: Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Holman Park Baptist Church. Thank you for your worship this morning. i got to tell you, it's so encouraging when you all start worshiping and, and we all just kind of start praising the Lord. It's just kind of the, the music and the, the words and the screen becomes secondary to the Lord's presence just being among us. And the same goes true with the reading of his word, and so we are going to be, as I said earlier, in Nehemiah chapter eight, and uh, the re- the walls have been rebuilt, and we continue our rebuilding series by picking up where we left off last week. The walls are completed. It took roughly over fifty days for them to do this, and so Nehemiah began the process not only of rebuilding the walls but rebuilding the people. It's almost like they built the fence, but the house still needed to be built So leadership was put into place last week in chapter 7, and there was a plan made to protect the work of God, and everyone had a place in that plan. And so today, the rebuilding takes it one step further, another step towards teaching the people to depend upon God by depending on His word. So this answers the why question. God's word is the foundation of everything that we believe and live for. And there, we live in an age where people believe that truth really depends on what your personal truth is. And again, how can truth be truth if truth is different for other people? And absolute truth is gravity works. It doesn't matter what you think about gravity, if you decide to test gravity, it will work every single time. And these are God's absolute truths, and just like gravity, these things, these precepts, have been proven over and over again. So, let's jump right into it. First of all, we see Nehemiah and his people desired God's word, desired God's word. i tell you what, when, when I find out that we have a, a, a covered dish or, or something like that at our church, I desire the dessert table because I know that there are going to be some favorites. When I found out that we had lunch last week, I cut my sermon 15 minutes short because I desired some barbecue. No, I did not cut it short. Some of y'all might have thought that was the reason, but that was not. When I was done, I was done. Or finished, I was finished. And uh, that's the way, I, it's kind of like they say, what does it mean when a preacher looks at his watch? Have you heard that one? What does it mean when a preacher looks at his watch? Absolutely nothing. All right? That was a joke. <laughs> like, preacher, just get on back to the Scriptures. I will. Don't worry, if you ever want to know when it's time to cut short, you'll see Donna, she'll do this. And uh, that's my sign. But let's jump right into they desired God's word. It says in verse one, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. If you remember several weeks ago, we took a tour of the walls and we looked at all the different gates that were around the walls. They, they gathered at the water gate and they asked Ezra. So here Ezra comes onto the scene. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel to obey. The book of basically bring out the Ten Commandments, bring out the books that Moses wrote, the first five books of the Bible, bring these out. This was, this was their equivalent of me saying, okay, everybody, get your Bibles out and let's start. That was the same equivalent. They didn't have the New Testament when this was written. It had yet to have been fulfilled. So they said, let's get your scriptures. And let's read these things. So, on October 8th, or some translations say the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and the women. And all the children, old enough to understand, he faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. I think of at the beginning of a football game. Some of you all watched some football yesterday for your favorite team. Some of them was great. Some of them were not so great. And some of them, I don't even know if you would call what they did a game. Uh, But still, what's the cool thing about being at the game? Watching it's cool. But being at it is a different. I, Don and I spent a little bit of time yesterday uh, just palling around. We hadn't done that in a while. So we went down to Clemson Stadium. They were playing away, so it wasn't too crowded. And But there were people looking. We were down at the stadium at, at, where they run down the hill, and, and I heard uh, somebody tell their family member they were visiting, now this is the hill where the Clemson players get off the bus and they come down. And you're like, they're talking all about that. But I'm telling you, if you've ever been there and seen it, it's electrifying, isn't it? Woo! Whether you like Clemson or not, you gotta give him props for the hype. Alright? Every team, every team out there has their own hype. So what we see here is that I'm not trying to be sacrilegious here, but what we saw is Ezra the scribe is coming out. And Ezra is not the star, but the Word of God is the star. And it's coming out. And he's going to the 50-yard line right in the middle of the field. And he is starting to read God's Word. And that is what people were there for. They weren't there to, to throw up their foam fingers. They weren't there To yell out their favorite chant. They were here to hear the word of God. And I wish that that would be that way we come to church when we are excited and we have a desire to hear the word of God. And it says in verse three that he faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon. Okay. From early morning till noon. That's a long sermon. And he read it aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. First, a little background. Who is Ezra? Ezra was a priest that had arrived from Babylon 13 years before Nehemiah began his mission of rebuilding the wall. So Ezra was kind of a precursor to what Nehemiah was doing. And many scholars believe that if you look in your Bible, it goes Ezra and Nehemiah. Many scholars believe that Ezra and Nehemiah are actually the same book. It was just kind of split into two different parts. And it's very key that Ezra has not been mentioned in the book of Nehemiah till this very point, because this illustrates in the book of Nehemiah the priority of Ezra's mission. We know that Ezra cared about God's Word because he was a scribe. He was somebody who dedicated his life to taking the oral traditions that were passed down from Scripture and other copies of Scripture and rewriting. They didn't have a Xerox machine. They didn't have a scanner app on their phone. If they wanted copies, they had to handwrite every one of them. The printing press had not been invented yet. So he was entrusted with The scriptures. And we know that he was a man devoted to God because he was a godly priest. And so what we see here in a kind of a wrestling motif is a great tag team. A great tag team. What we see here is that Nehemiah came in, he took the hits. From all the oppressors. He took the hits from everybody that didn't want to see anything happen. Because they were losing power. They were losing prestige. They were losing their platform. So Nehemiah, boom, boom, boom. Takes the hits and keeps on going. And then he tags Nehemiah. And Nehemiah comes in. You see, Nehemiah was a governor. He was a political leader. But Ezra, he was a priest. So he was a spiritual leader. You see, being a scribe meant that Ezra was highly educated. He could serve as a lawyer, a notary public, a scholar, even a consultant. So the people of Jerusalem, back then, though, they would rather have a king like David. But that would have threatened. Think about it. If, if Nehemiah would have said, you know what? Okay, we have been rebuilt, and let's go back to the days of old. Let's have a king just as good as David. What's the problem with that? There's this guy named King Artaxerxes that sent Nehemiah to come rebuild the walls. And so if Nehemiah said, thank you, king, and the king gives him the um, authority to rebuild, the goods to rebuild, the materials to rebuild, the people to rebuild, and then he comes and he rebuilds Jerusalem and installs a king? Do you see where that would have been a problem? So Ezra comes out and the bottom line is Nehemiah led the people in rebuilding the walls and infrastructure of Jerusalem and God was used Ezra to lead the nation to something. And what is that something? Revival. We used to have scheduled revivals in churches where you have in the spring and in the fall you have preachers that come in and they preach all week and people get revived and, and you know, if I guess revival happens on those magical dates. And I look, I love having guest preachers come in. I love the chance of y'all to hear somebody other than me week after week after week. But my friends, if there is going to be true revival, there needs to be something that has vived before. There has to be life. There has to be a desire for God's word. And so this is the fourth time God's word was read publicly by the priest. So again, the priest comes out and he's reading the word of God. This is this is an instrumental, pivotal, very defined purpose for for Ezra coming out and reading the word. The first time that the word was brought out and read was at the 10 commandments in Exodus 20, where they received the 10 commandments. God's word was read to the people. The second time when Joshua became a leader, Moses has been transitioned out of the way. Joshua is leading the people of God. And so a whole generation has been raised that were not raised specifically on God's word. We have generations today that are woefully inadequate in biblical knowledge. And we have adults that are woefully inadequate and biblical knowledge because you're depending on the sweet ticklings of a preacher or a guest speaker or a podcaster or your favorite Facebook friend to get all your spiritual truth. But I'm going to go and tell you, if the only truth you're getting is from these lips or somebody else's and not straight from the word of God, you are getting my regurgitation of what I think about it, not what God has intended. The third time, King Josiah wanted to remind his people that they had not been following God. So how do you know if you're following God or not? You read his word and find out if you're doing what he's asking you to do. And then now the fourth time in Nehemiah 8, he's trying to rebuild the DNA of the people. He's trying to rebuild their moral compass that has been lost because many of them had been exiled for over 70 years. And the ones that stayed kind of got trapped in this this old way of doing things. And so nobody really was keeping God's Word at the center. And we, as a church, as we continue to fill out our mission, it's not about what the preacher thinks. It's not about what the deacons think. It's not about what the matriarchs and the patriarchs of the church thinks. It matters about what God's Word says, regardless of what a Twitter feed says, regardless of what a hashtag says, and regardless even of what your mama and daddy said. It is God's word, and God's word alone. It's even not about what I say. If I say anything that's contrary to this, I will be held accountable for that. But the main thing I want you to see is that Nehemiah is using Ezra to rebuild their worldview. What is a worldview? How you view the world. Let me ask you this question. Do you view the world through God's Word? I found this, and I'm not big on statistics, but this really scared me. In the uh, Cultural Research Center in Arizona Christian University, they found this out. And they said, a new nationwide survey of American Christian pastors, American Christian pastors that a majority of pastors lacked a biblical worldview. In fact, just slightly more than a third, 37% possess a biblical worldview. Wow. So of pastors that are leading people, only a third of them believe in a biblical worldview. And then there's 62% that hold a hybrid worldview, which is... Basically, they believe the Bible, but they believe other religions too. And these are pastors. What, when did the day come to where our doctrine is some kind of hobo stew? Do y'all remember what hobo stew is? I think that was a a scouting thing, am I right? Hobo stew? Where you get all the kids in the troop to bring, you know, hey mama, need a can of vegetables from the, from the pantry. And so you get like the spinach and the, Artichokes and all these things that are almost do, but anyway, you put all this stuff in a big old pot and you, you throw some hamburger meat in it or you throw some chicken or, or whatever you want to, pork or whatever you want to, and you put it in a big bowl and you stir it all up and oh man, that's some of the best stew you'll ever, you'll ever taste. And you ask what's in it and they say, I don't know. <laughs> Cause they really don't. And so today, The worldview that people have, if it is not a biblical worldview, it's hobo stew. It's, I'll take a little bit of this, I'll take a little bit of that. I really don't want that because that's not popular. And I don't really want that because that seems too mean. And and that that doesn't really work with what I want to believe. And so we get this amalgamation of some kind of hobo stew of a worldview. And we think this is what pleases God. And it does not because we're not reading His Word to find out what He thinks is pleasing to Him. I'll start preaching in a minute. I'm sorry. According to this latest report, the biblical worldview varies by the pastoral positions held. Among senior pastors, for instance, 41% hold a biblical worldview. The highest incident among any of the five pastoral positions studied. And then the next highest was 28% among associate pastors. Then when you get down to teaching pastors and Children's pastors and youth pastors, it was down to 13%. That ought to scare the mess out of you to know that only 13% of the people that they surveyed that were teaching our children had a biblical worldview. But what can you expect? Your pastor didn't have much of one anyway. Do you see why Ezra saw the need to put the Word of God out first and foremost in front to them. It said they stayed for several hours. In, in the first half of verse 4, it says, Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. I don't know if you know this, but in most Baptist churches you will go to, um, some of them don't have this big honking pulpit like this one, but a lot of them have some type of podium, some type of pulpit, some type of something right in the middle. And usually there's a table, and sometimes there's a Bible on it, but there's an inscription of a Bible. So what does that say? Why don't we do like other churches and just put uh, the guy in a loft over on the side? It's because we believe that no matter what music we play, no matter what a choir or a praise team sings, no matter what piano piece, no matter what organ piece, no matter what the children do, no matter what great thing we can come up with to, to lead in a worship service, the central piece to any worship service, is a reading of God's Word. That's why this stays here. That's why it's in the middle of everything that we do. It's a priority. So my question to you is, what are things that you can do to make God's Word a priority in your life? Maybe schedule a time. That doesn't seem very uh, spiritual, but yeah, sometimes in your calendar, what if you just go out and say, you know what? Two days this week, I'm going to schedule 15 minutes in the morning to spend time with God. Just like I have an appointment with anybody else. See how that changes. Prepare a place to read God's Word. Don't be on the... Well, I about got crass for a minute. It's not when you're in the restroom sitting down on the pot scrolling through your phone. That's not the time to do your Bible study. Hurt a little bit? Sorry. The time to do your Bible study is not when you're half asleep, getting ready to to fall asleep, and you you, you wake up and your head is in the pages of a Bible. Or it's just something you're doing while you're waiting at the doctor's office. Folks, that's just giving God leftover time. Do you want God's leftovers, or do you want His best? The greatest way to prepare to listen to God's Word is to prepare your Heart. You and I must come to church willing to forget about the baggage that we come with. We should be willing to forget about ourselves and our own agendas. And we should be ready to submit to God and His Word to be our primary objective. Then we see in the second half of verse 4 through 6, to his right stood Methanah, Shammah, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. To the left stood Pediah, Mishael, Malajah. Hashem, Hashabinah, Zechariah, and Meshulam. And Ezra stood on the platform in full view of this people. When they saw him and opened the book, they all rose to meet their feet. Now, (laughs) when we just read that, most people saying, I wonder if he's going to get those names right. Some of y'all are saying, I don't think I could say those names. It's not about the name. But Ezra, when he walked up and he held the Word of God up, he had men on his left and men on his right supporting him. These men stood with Ezra. The ministry of God's Word has the greatest impact when people can see men. Who are in support of it. In obedience to it. We need men. In our church. That will make God's word a priority. That's about all I need to say about that right now. Because we don't have a lot of them. Women. Women. Y'all toe the line around here. (laughs) And it's going to have to be a work of God. We have got fantastic men in our church. All of them are dear friends. And I pray one day that we'll be able to stand side by side, desiring to hear and to preach and to implement the word of God. The reading of God's Word demands a response. The reading of the Word demands a response in verses 7 through 12. The Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Sarabiah, Jamin, Echoes, Sabbathai, Hodiah, Manasseh, Calatiah, Azariah, Jozezaba, Henan and Philiah then instructed the people in the law, while everyone remained in their places, they read from the book of the Law and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people to understand. This is amazing. What is happening is Ezra is reading God's word, and his assistants are out in the crowd, explaining to people what He is saying. Much like a a Bible study teacher, much like a leader in a ministry, they were explaining what's going out of this. That's what these men were doing, is they were taking what Ezra was saying, what God's word was saying, and God was using them to experience that with the people. Much like when Jesus gave the disciples the bread and the fish to feed the 5,000 men and their families. Folks, to do that, we got to be the real deal. We cannot teach our children to be Christians at church if we act like hellions at home. Nehemiah 9 says, Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, and the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who were interpreting for the people, said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day for this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had been... Weeping all day as they listen to the Word of God. Man, that's not what you want, right? You don't want a whole bunch of people weeping and crying. But here's the thing, folks. The reason people don't read God's Word is because it does cut us. It does show us where we're doing wrong and we're saying, if this is the standard, there's no way I can meet this. That's the whole reason for Jesus, my friends. You can't meet the Word on your own. That is why we have Jesus To intercede for us. But God's word brings conviction. If you are reading it with the right heart. The reason church services are cold today in America, the reason people are not reviving is because no one wants to admit that the Word does cut them because they're not reading the Word. And if they are reading the Word, they don't want to be shown to everybody else to see that it's cutting them because nobody wants to tell anybody else that they admit that they are wrong and they are sinners and they need a Savior because they're not reading the Word of God. Verses 10 through 12. And Nehemiah continued, Go on and celebrate with the feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so Ezra's saying, Hey, calm down, guys. The purpose of reading God's Word is to not make you feel bad about yourself. It's to celebrate what He is doing. And it says in verse 11, In the Levites too quieted the people, telling them, hush, don't weep, dry your eyes. For this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and to drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food, to celebrate with great joy because they had God's word and they understood it. Do you realize what a gift it is, is to read or hear God's Word and understand what it means? Because understanding only comes from having the Holy Spirit in your life. What they're telling these people is that you need to move from your sorrow over sin to joy. So many people, when they read God's Word... Oh, my goodness, there is no way I'll ever get past this. And so Satan starts to work and say, you know what? You're right. You're not good enough. You're not worth Jesus's love. You're not worth the blood of Christ. You, are, you have tried and tried and you have failed. So the best thing to do is just sit there and cry in your stupor and just do nothing about it. That is what the devil wants you to do. But that is not what God's word says. They say, get up. Rise, let my bones come to life. It's not about what you did against God and against God's Word. It's about what Jesus came to deliver you from that. But if you don't stay in the Word, you don't hear that message. The devil wants you to feel sorry for yourself. Feel defeated like you have failed God and there's no coming back from that. The people felt sad because they were aware of their own sin, but they could walk in joy because God was doing a great work. Our emotions, folks, are not beyond our control. We can, whether we know it or not, we can control our emotions. And we can do God's will even when we don't feel like it. I saw this quote the other day on a store here in town. It was a, I think it was some cleaners over near Whitehall Road, but they had this quote It said, I added with God's help to it. With God's help, the comeback is always greater than the setback. And my friends, if you have a setback, God will help you get over it, and your comeback will be greater than whatever that setback was. The purpose of God's word is to remind believers of whose they are. Then we see in our third big section, Nehemiah 8, 13 through 18, God's people demonstrated their obedience. It talks about the festival of shelters or the festival of Sabbath. What does this mean? On October 9th, so this is the next day, on October 9th, the family leaders of all the people together with the priests and the Levites met with Ezra, the scribe, to go over the law in greater detail. So not only did they stay for an all-day sermon, they came back the next day to apply it. And they studied the law. They discovered that the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should live in shelters during the festival to be held that month. And he said to that a proclamation should be made throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, telling people to go to the hills to get branches from olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees. And they were to use these branches to make shelters in which they would live during the festival as described by the law. The law told them to remember what their their forefathers and foremothers did. So what did they do? They went camping. They went on a camping trip. And so what they would do is they would make these huts. Some of them would camp on the top of roofs. Some of them would go into the wilderness. But they would camp for this amount of time, and they would remember What it was like for their ancestors who had been wandering in the desert for 40 years. Who didn't have a home for 40 years. If you go back and look at that, they walked in a circle the whole time. Taking camp, depending on God to provide, and moving on to the next place. But here's the crazy thing. In verse 14, God said it, so they did it. (laughs) It doesn't get any more simpler than that. God said it, and they did it. Their attitude was, God's word said it, so we need to do it. Verses 16 through 18 says, So the people went out to cut the branches and use them to build shelters on the roofs and their houses, in their courtyards of God's temple, or in the squares, just inside the water gate and the Ephraim gate. So everyone who had returned from captivity lived in these shelters during the festival, and they were all filled with great joy. Not only did they go camping, they weren't going camping because they felt bad about what they heard from God's Word. They were going camping to celebrate that God has brought them out of the wilderness, that has given them a new place, to live. they are back home in Jerusalem where they need to be. The walls have been rebuilt, and now it was time to rebuild their generation, not only physically, but spiritually as well. Verse 18 says, Ezra from the book of the law on God, Ezra read from the book of the law of God on each of the seven days of the festival. And on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly as required by the law. What we see from this is that revival comes through living in the will of God. How many times, oh, how many times have I said, and how many times have I heard people say, a Preacher, I'm just trying to find the will of God. You know, I remember when you were younger, I was younger, and we were like middle school and high school, this was the worst line in the world if a Christian would wanted to break up with somebody, what would they say? Oh, it's not in God's will. Well, it was in God's will for you to kiss me the other day, and now it's not? Oh, it's not in God's will. We use that a lot, don't we? Oh, it's not in God's will for me to do this. It's not in God's will for me to do that. Nine times out of ten, when someone says it's not in God's will, it's not in their will. How do you want to know? you want to find God's will for your life? I'm going to give you a secret, and I'm not going to charge you anything. I'm about to wrap up. I'm not going to charge you anything for this. Are you ready? I'm going to give you the secret to finding God's will for your life. Not a lot of people are telling you this. So let's just be between us, all right? Read this. This is the will of God. The will of God is not some destination that you hope to get to one day. I use the illustration of a roller coaster. God's will is not when you're in that cart and you get to the end and the brakes hit and you go, and then you stop. You haven't arrived at God's will at that moment. God's will was the loops and the corkscrews and the hills and the climbs that took you to get there. What is God's will? Just like these guys did it. God said it, they did it. Day by day, minute by minute. If God says it and you do it, you're in God's will. If God says it and you don't do it, you're out of God's will, in or out. That's the secret. You could take that to the bank. Will you rest on and in God's word? The focus of God's word is not on the person who is reading it. Or the setting where the reading occurs, first and foremost, it's on what God is instructing for us to learn and apply. So I will end with this. Here's some Bible of study assessment questions. Here's how to you to assess whether you are reading and studying the Bible like you should. And I should. Are you reading the Bible regularly? This can include personal quiet times as well as, the, as well as hearing it read as a part of worship. Sometimes the best thing you can do is pause for a minute and think about what you're saying. And not that I'm great, but you realize that if you were to take notes, when you hear sermons preached and Bible studies preached and you hear speakers on your radio and, and your phone preached, do you realize you, you keep, what, 75% of what you write down and maybe about 5% of what you don't? Are you reading the Bible regularly? What is your attitude towards Scripture? If your attitude towards Scripture is, Oh my goodness, preacher got on his hard today. Okay, I'm going to do my best. I'm not going to read those names he was reading, but I will do my best. So many people say, I don't know where to start, preacher. I'll tell you what, if you don't know where to start reading the Bible, I'm going to give you another little tip, little life hack. That's how you start. Right there. Open it up. Start at the book of John. Read all the way till you get to Revelation. Stop. Don't read Revelation yet. And start over. What is your attitude towards Scripture? And does your study of the Bible result in a changed life? My friends, if all we do is have a pep rally here on Sunday mornings and it doesn't change our lives, we're wasting our time. I'm telling you, if you get God's word into your life, it will change your life. So the mark of true understanding is living a life that is transformed by God's word. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says, All scripture, even those names I read earlier, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us what is wrong in our lives. He corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. My friend, I in my spirit feel like there is something out there that God has yet to do with this church. That's just me. But folks, if we're not reading his word, all of us reading his word, And whatever that is, we likely may not find it because it centers on this. Nehemiah saw that. Ezra saw that. And if they were rebuilding the people and it was important to God, it should be important to us as well. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time this morning. Thank you that we could read your word and be honored by what it says, Lord. And and what a great precept, Lord, to see that Ezra, once the, the physical things of Jerusalem were being built, the people needed to be rebuilt. Their worldview needed to be rebuilt. And in a world today that seeks to take you out of everything, God, we need to, to do everything we can to teach ourselves and our children that our worldview comes from this scripture. The book that many want to discount. The book that many want to say that's out of date. The book that, want to, that many people want to say that's full of errors. Lord, they have been trying to defeat this book since it was written, but it is still here and alive and active today. May it be active in the lives of these people, Lord. And if there's one here today that would say, you know what, I need to be more committed to my reading of God's word. May they remember this day. May they remember this moment. Maybe someone wants to come to this altar and pray and ask for strength to do that. Maybe someone wants to know you as their Savior and Lord. Maybe someone wants to join this church. God, whatever is done today, you get the glory for. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.